and that you never leave us without help. Um, I thank you so much that you are such a gracious and a generous God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so, sorry, let me get this thing going here. Welcome to uh, City Bible Church. As you can see on the screen, we're here to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. This is not a, uh, an event that you attend to come watch me and try to be like me. That's got nothing to do with it. We're here to help you connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. And to that end, we started a, a series that I'm just calling Church. Church is a word that gets used a lot of different ways right now. Some people use it to be like, that's right, I know that's right, or that was a good experience, or I'm out, or or other things, like a cure for insomnia, or I was actually doing something I shouldn't have been doing. People use the word church uh, for a lot of different things, and what I wanted to do is to help us to answer these questions that you see on the screen. Why? I only got seven days a week, right? Anyone ever felt that way? Right? Why? Why church? What is a church? I mean, is it an event you attend to try to be close to better people so you can try to be a better person? Oh, heck no. No, that is not, if I, if I dig down to what a church is, that is not what it is. It is not an event. So I, I hate to disappoint you, but if you thought you'd come to attend an event to become a better person, that's not what we are. That's not why we exist. That's not how this works. But let, we want to unpack these questions. What is a church? What does it mean to be a part of a church? How can I belong? How can I be a part of this church family? And so last week, we started with this very simple definition that we pulled from the Scriptures. This is not from me because I'm so smart, right? This is We, we just kind of pull this by boiling down, if you will, digging down, unpacking, trying to define... What, what is it? What is it? Church is new people. Now, we talked about this last week and I'm using this actually, um, whatever your background, whatever your vocabulary, if you wanted to find out if this should be your church home, your church family, or you want to be a member of a church. So last Sunday, this Sunday, we've got it up on our website. Uh, you can listen to these if you, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks travel for work and whatnot. And then we'll have, um, a couple of more. You listen to these and then sit down with Rebecca and I, ask any questions that you want. And that's how you can make this your church family. So kind of almost, if you're a first time guest, I apologize. It's kind of almost like a church membership class that we're doing here. Give you a chance to kind of understand it. Give you a chance. But we think it's for everybody. And we think it's always good for us to have a reminder. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm so glad you... Okay, so church is new people. And we talked about it last Sunday. You cannot... Um, outsiders are what called the church a church. Outsiders are what came up with the word Christian. It was to make fun of them. It was like mini-me from Austin Powers. is like your little Jesuses. Well, that's a, that was outsiders that called them a church. It was outsiders that called them Christians, right? And so it was a description. And one of the 
things that it was describing is that those people are different. They are new. They have new life in Jesus. They've had an encounter with Jesus where they're not the same. They're not who they used to be and they don't act like normal people. The verb, their state of being, they're not like normal people. They're a little different and I want to be like that. That was a part of the description and we use the word new people as a way to associate when Jesus in John chapter 3 kind of unpacked the idea of salvation and what salvation means. You have new life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We believe the truth of what Jesus had to say that's been tattooed on people, put on signs at ball games all over John 3.16. It was Jesus who was speaking, who was really saying that ultimately there are two kinds of people in this world that ever live. There are sinners and forgiven sinners. That's it. We are one human race. The word race is a social construct made up by people. We are one human race. Now, we have different ethnicities, but we... Am I talking to the right people? We are one human race, and it was God who sent His Son, and His Son said, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, not this group or that group, not the ones that smell this way, talk this way, are you with me? Right? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I don't know about you, but that changed my life. And that's the only reason I'm a part of a church. I I talked last week about some of my negative experiences with church. I don't think you could come to me with a complaint that I wouldn't at least understand and partially agree with. I have plenty of reasons in my life to hate the, quote, church. But because Jesus gave me new life, there is purpose. And so a church starts with new people following Jesus together. And today we're going to unpack those words strategically, what they mean, in a little bit more depth. Are you interested enough to hang around for a few minutes? Yes. All right, let's do this. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. So it goes, you got to get in the middle of your Bible, you turn right, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Acts chapter 2. Now, what we want to do is we want to read the story We want to read the story of the people that actually saw Jesus with their own eyeballs, the people that actually heard Jesus with their own ears, the the people that listened to Jesus and what he had to say and how they responded. And I would encourage you to read Acts, right? To read this book and read the story of what did the people who were there, how did they respond to what Jesus said, right? We want to read their people just like you, beautiful people. Right? Strengths and weaknesses. Right? People just like us. How did they respond to Jesus? How, what did they do with what he said? And so what's happened is, as we talked about last week, the, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He was dead. He came back to life. He was seen by 500 people for days and days. And then he told them to wait for a visitation from God. God, the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going. I'm going up there to that place, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another God, the Holy Spirit, your advocate, your guide, one who would help you. The Holy Spirit comes 
The people that are around that are observing are confused and they're asking them what's going on. And Peter steps to the front and he starts to talk. And he starts to talk about Jesus and he starts to pull from the Old Testament to unpack Jesus. And so let's go to verse 37. And he's cut them to the core. He said, you're the ones that killed this Jesus, our hope. So Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last Sunday, water baptism. For the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last Sunday. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. That means all y'all. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now I believe that God gives us these words, this example, to help us. You know, I talked last Sunday a little bit how it's kind of like a gift. And God is our Father and God is a Father that gives good gifts. He's not human like us with a sin nature, with selfishness, with manipulation, with a limited amount of money or time. He's not a human father like us that, that do fail from time to time. He is a good father. He is the perfect father. He is the one true living God who created us, who when he came down and described his own name said, I am Yahweh. That means I'm the one who created all this and I am the one who redeems all this. I set right what is wrong. That's who he is. He's a good, good father. And just like when God gives us good gifts, just like our fathers do. So I love to give my kids gifts. I try not to give them so many gifts that they're spoiled or that I'm living by Capital One and Visa and MasterCard, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, when I give my kids gifts, sometimes the gifts that I give them have a purpose. Not all of them have a purpose. You just want to make them smile. But some of them have a bigger purpose. And I was talking last week about how when I give my kids a bicycle, I've got a purpose in mind. I want them to enjoy it. Right? And we talked about how a bicycle, if you've never been around a bicycle, you've never ridden a bicycle, it can be a little bit intimidating. Right? Give me those training wheels. Let's get a three-wheeler, four-wheeler ride. Then we can talk. I might be like, I don't want to fall, I don't want to scratch, I don't want to have a concussion. I've heard those are bad. I've had four, we can talk about that later. Right? Well, you can be afraid of a bicycle, but you actually have to get on the bike and use it the way it was designed in order to enjoy it. God, a good father, gives us the gift of the idea of church for our benefit. The Bible actually says Jesus leads the church for our benefit. 
It's not meant to hurt us. It's not meant to disappoint us. Does it ever do that thing? Well, yeah, because there's people in it that are not perfect just like you. Oh, yeah, I went there. Right? So, but its its purpose is to be for our benefit. To be a good thing that we enjoy. If we believe that God is who He said He is, then we must believe that when God, the good Father, gives us good gifts, He gives them to us for our benefit. Now, I know that's already a mind twister. So I'm just going to take a breath and let that sink in. Church should be more like a family party, a good one now, than just about anything else. More so than cheers, sometimes you want to go, everybody knows your name. Church should be better than any bar, better than any family party. Can I get a what, what? Right? And are you getting a feel that that's what kind of church this is? I hope so. Right? Now, let's unpack verses. Let's just look at verse 42. And let's spend just a few minutes to talk about what that looks like. Now, first of all, we see this word devoted. And already that might turn us off. They devoted themselves. And so I want to unpack what that word means in the language that was used. That word devoted means they continued to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. I'm going to say that again because it's important. Because if I am a Jesus follower, I should look at this text and say, this is how I should be living. And, and when, when we, we have Bible studies and, and, and come here and we talk about forgiveness and we talk about salvation and we talk about mercy and we, we talk about all these good ideas, we must remember how God designed us to pursue those things, how God designed us to enjoy those things. See, there's nothing in what God said that says that we are to pursue those things by ourselves. No, that's a white American idea. I'm just going to call it what it is. I've studied history. I've got the degree. That idea is a white American idea. No, In no other society of the world except Western Europe, in all of human history, in West, only in Western Europe and North America have people, primarily white people, thought we should pursue spirituality by ourselves. It's, you know, I don't want to offend you this morning. It's not smart. It doesn't work. And right now we have a ton of medical research by people that don't believe in God and that believe Christianity is terrible. There's a ton of medical research, psychotherapist research, doctor medical research, even dentists, right? There's all kinds of different medical professionals that are writing about how stress affects our body and how loneliness shortens our lifespan. And what we have is a lot of people that go to events and use social media and yet are lonely. And we have people that don't believe in God, that don't believe in any of this, that are telling you that if you're lonely, you will not live as long. But what we see right here is that God's design is that we are not to pursue Him, following Him, trying to receive salvation and this new start by ourselves. It it ain't right. It ain't healthy. It's not how we were created. 
Now, I know we all believe that we're special, and we are. And I know that we all believe that we're better than the average driver, and we're not. Oh, better. And I know that we all believe that we've got to figure it out, and we don't need anybody else to tell us how to live this life, but we're wrong. Woo, somebody. They devoted themselves. They continued to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. Now, what did they do? I'm so glad you asked. It's on the screen. They de- what did they devote themselves to? Well, learning. First of all, there's no example here or actually in, in Christian history outside of here. There's no example of passive learning. Of Let me try to say that again so you're all listening. There's no example in here of people following God, worshiping God, following Jesus with passive learning. The only examples we have are active learning where the individual is actively engaged in what's going on. Are you with me? So they devoted themselves to active learning. That's number one. Now you guys know that most of the time I try to go on one theme. We're going to look at more than one theme today. You still need to love me. Okay? Active learning. So they devoted, and what does it say? To the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? Well, we just saw that what these guys, the apostles, were doing was they were teaching them what Jesus said. And then using the Old Testament to unpack what Jesus said to help them understand it. So they, that's all y'all, devoted themselves, they continued to do with intensity despite difficulty. Now, has anyone found any difficulty in learning about what Jesus said? I have. Do you you know, I struggle every week. And this is what I do. And I'm trained. I have a degree. Blah, 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 right? I struggle every... Hey, it's okay. It says that it was tough for them too. It says that they had to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. So these people also found difficulty in learning about what Jesus said. So relax. Take a breath. It's okay. Okay, I can sense some of you need a little more. You can do it to yourself if you write. It's okay if there's difficulty. But don't give up. Don't give up. What they did before they saw the miracles, that will preach. They continued to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means that they became active learners. They devoted themselves to responding to... Now, I know this is going to sound a little weird, but just it's in the Bible. Responding to the ways in which their spiritual teachers were helping them learn what Jesus taught. That's what they did. They made a decision that despite difficulty, they were going to learn. They put effort. They put time. They were active learners. And their life was better for it. Right? Did you see that? 
And they had favor with everybody, even the people that didn't want nothing to do with them or their God. Their life was better for it. I know I'm goofing around a little bit. I know this is challenging. That's why I'm goofing around a little bit. This is how we should respond to Jesus. Not, not, not to me. To Jesus. Are you with me? This, it was in here before I was born. Right? They devoted themselves to active learning. You also see, they devoted themselves to relationships. So we have this word, ecclesia, which is where we get church, which is a, a sharing word. We also have this word, koinonia. They, they devoted themselves to koinonia. What is this koinonia? It is a sharing with. It is a close association. It is human relationships on purpose. I know this has already been a tough message. We're going to go a little more, okay? Sometimes we let pride, um, a worship of comfort, of free time. I think that the American dream is free time, me time. I think McDonald's is even selling stuff based on that, right? Me time, right? Sometimes we can let me time and comfort and pride or insecurity or fear or past hurts get in the way of us continuing to do something with intense effort despite difficulty, which includes intentionally building relationships. Now, I can provide atmospheres and environments and encouragement for you to do that, but I can't do it for you. How did the people that heard Jesus' words, that saw the miracles, some of which were put to death for their faith, that changed the, the human history, how did they respond? They continued to do something with intense effort despite difficulty, which included building relationships. Now, I know that sounds difficult, so let's break it down and talk about the simple. That also, it says they ate together. They shared meals together and the Lord's Supper. We talked about communion last week, but I want to point out that they just sat around and ate. Y'all can do that because you you wouldn't be here if you weren't. Right? And what they did was they chose... Do you think that they didn't have homes they enjoyed being in by themselves just like we do? They chose to eat together because they were intentionally building relationships. They chose to eat together. And they shared communion. That was, that was how they did it. Now, how many of you here in this room would say that some measure of these activities we've already talked about has already made your life better following Jesus easier? Look around the room. Right? It works. If you work it, it works. Right? It works. So it's, but I've got to make a decision. Have you ever been in a room with a bunch of people that you don't know or are not like you and you're maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable? Maybe you're feeling like, I used to, when, when, before Rebecca and I got engaged, she was working in the ER of a hospital. I remember go sit there in the ER, wait for her to get on her brake. Well, that guy's a goner. (laughs) Okay. some of you looked like you were really like starting to feel stressed. I just wanted to lighten the mood a little bit. A little lighten. See, 
that I, I just remember the emergency room would be like a place where like, I don't know any of these people. I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable. I don't know why they're here. But I had a couple of really fun conversations sometimes when Rebecca's break didn't come up when it was supposed to, and I'm just sitting there. When I walked across the room to say hi. Sometimes what we need to do is walk across the room and just say hi. My football coach taught me to just assume that everybody likes you till they prove otherwise. You'll find people that don't like you. I've found plenty of them already. I found some new ones this month. And it's okay. Not everybody's going to like me. I'm cool with that. Right? But you're not going to know until you walk across the room and say hi and introduce yourself. Right? Share a meal together. Laugh. One time, Ron and Lisa and I were sitting up late. It's over at Kevin's house. We were talking about Fat Albert. And I laughed so hard. Oh man, some childhood memories come back. We got closer that night. I don't know if you felt that way, but I did. (laughs) Sometimes we need to walk across the room. It doesn't need to be this big, heavy, hey, we're going to do life together for the rest of our lives. Who wants to go to that? Okay? So just breathe. We Walk across the room. Eat together. It's an intentional building of relationships together. Right? And some of us should just be fun. Goofing around. Right? That's not, we all can agree on eating at least. Right? So intentionally building relationships. Last Sunday we talked a little bit about communion. We do it here um, every Sunday in part because of Baltimore's history and culture, but also because it's a value in Scripture. Jesus asked us to share at the Lord's table the cup and the bread to remember His sacrifice. But for the early Christians, the ancient Christians, it was a love feast. It was also a party. It was also a time of joy. And in fact, historical documents tell us that ancient Christians believed that Jesus literally walked in the room when they shared communion and they saw healing miracles during the communion meal. That's what I want. That's what I want. When we share at the Lord's table, which they continue to do with intense effort despite difficulty. Now, I don't know about you, but I myself have found at times when I'm in a church or in a home and it's time to do communion that it's difficult. My head's not in the right place. Stuff's going on in my life. Car problems, plumbing problems, job problems, whatever. And it's difficult. I don't want to do it. Am I the only one? But what did they do? They continued to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. They devoted themselves to it. Now, what's the last one we see on the screen? Prayer. See, we believe that prayer is for everyone. No matter what your vocabulary, no matter what your style, loud prayer, quiet prayer, sh- uh, prayer, silent prayer, short prayer, long prayer, whatever. God created all of us. God created all of us. We believe that prayer is for everyone. It's not for the people that are good at it. In fact, some of them could be less good at it. You know what I mean. Right? It's not a performance. It's not time to, this is my vocabulary, and this is my praying voice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God knows who you really are. 
You ain't fooling nobody and definitely not him. Right? Loud prayers, silent prayer, $5 word prayers and, uh, and penny word prayers. Right? They devoted themselves to prayer. They continued to pray with intense effort despite difficulty. Why? Because Jesus made a way. What happened when Jesus died? The veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. That piece of fabric that was a, a, a symbol of a separation between a holy God and all of us. That symbol of without sacrifice, we cannot go into the Holy of Holies. We can't get into God's living room. That symbol was ripped from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. That means from that moment to this, I have access because of Jesus. I can cry out when I need help and woe to me when I don't pray. I believe that prayer is directly connected to the growth and the strength and the health of this church and every church. And that you know how popular God is by how many people come to a prayer meeting. I have seen in my life that the most resisted by our enemy activity that the church does is not feeding the homeless, is not sharing the good news of Jesus, even it is prayer. Because our enemy knows that if he can block, get in the way of your active connection with God personally, if he can hinder your connection with God, he's got you where he wants you. If you believe prayer's not for me, it's for those other people. I'm not trying to get you to pray like me. But I am trying to unlock our understanding that prayer is for you. That it is about your access to God. And that your enemy doesn't want you there, in your war room, in your prayer room. The mother of the Finney revivalist would, she had so many kids, the only way she could pray is stand in her kitchen and put the apron over her head. And then, don't you bother mom when she's got her apron over her head. You gotta find a way. You're too busy not to pray. It's your oxygen supply spiritually. You're an alien in this world. You are an eternal spiritual being having a temporary natural experience. Prayer is your lifeline. Your conversation with God, that's what's going to last forever. Not your clothing, not your car, not your fantasy football team, not your job, not your checkbook. Nothing, not, none of that's forever. Your conversation with God, that's forever. They devoted themselves. They continued to pray with intense effort despite difficulty. Whew. Okay, all right. I know this is challenging, but guess what? We're in this together. And you might feel alone in your challenge response to this, but I guarantee you that there's someone else in this room right now that's feeling the same way you are about how challenging this is. That's a part of God's design. We do this together. And then when we gather here and in our homes, there's a benefit. Are you with me? It's a beautiful thing. Quickly, what were the results? The results were miracles. Verses 43 through 47, the results were miracles. The results were also courageous generosity. That's what we call our charitable giving, right? When I give more than enough, when I give extra. The results were courageous generosity. 
And the results were that they continued to get together, gathered in big groups, and scattered into small groups. It was how they did life. It was how they did life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Guess what? You are not alone. You're not alone. Not only is God always with you, God has placed you in a spiritual family. It's His design. Now we do this here when we come together, and we do this in small groups and homes. And so I've asked Chris if he would come and share with us a little bit of what it's like to be in one of our small groups in homes. Will you welcome Chris, please? Woo!